0: Welcome to The Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's out farpress.com you can listen to the past five shortwave reports find advice for listening to shortwave at home and find internet links for global news sources please check it out and tell a friend in today's edition you'll hear reports from nhk japan france 24 radio havana cuba and george galloway's the mother of all talk shows we will begin with nhk world radio japan South Korea has a new conservative president. Northern Pakistan has had record heat waves, causing glaciers to melt, resulting in a massive flood. Chinese President Xi and French President Macron agree that the Ukraine crisis should be resolved through negotiations, not more military assistance. The U.S. approved a new $40 billion package of mostly military aid to Ukraine while Britain is adding $1.6 billion in military support. Russian controls on media are blocking citizens from getting foreign news in social media sites, much like in the EU and the US. NHK Japan
1: A new political era is underway in South Korea. Yoon song yol was sworn in as president Tuesday morning, ushering in the country's first conservative government in five years. The ceremony attracted about 40,000 people, including U.S. Second Gentleman Douglas Emhoff and Japan's Foreign Minister Hayashi Yoshimasa. One of Yoon's main challenges will be dealing with North Korea, which is accelerating its nuclear and missile development. He says there's room for dialogue and a way for the North to benefit. If North Korea genuinely embarks on a process to complete denuclearization, we are prepared to work with the international community to present an audacious plan that will vastly strengthen North Korea's economy and improve the lives of its people. China's lashing out at the United States for sailing through the Taiwan Strait. This U.S. warship moved through the Strait on Tuesday. It was the second such transit in two weeks. The U.S. Navy calls the move routine and a demonstration of its commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific. China disagrees. Its military officials said the United States frequently stages such dramas and provokes trouble sending wrong signals to Taiwan independence forces and deliberately intensifying tensions across the Taiwan Strait. A
2: glacial lake in a mountainous region of northern Pakistan has burst, triggering a massive flood that swept away a bridge. The phenomenon known as a glacial lake outburst flood occurred on Saturday in Hunza Valley at the foot of the Karakoram Mountain Range. Local media say no one was injured in the disaster. Pakistan has been hit by a heat wave with a daytime high of 49 degrees Celsius observed in late April in the southern city of Jakobabad. In the past 20 days, there was a 40 percent rise in water levels at the glacial lake that unleashed the flood. The heat wave has caused more than 3,000 glacial lakes to form, of which 33 could burst.
3: Chinese President Xi Jinping and French President Emmanuel Macron have affirmed that the conflict in Ukraine should be resolved through peaceful means. Xi and Macron spoke over the phone on Tuesday. The Chinese foreign ministry said the two leaders agreed that the relevant parties should support Russia and Ukraine in restoring peace through negotiations. The ministry also said she urged, quote, vigilance against bloc confrontation, which poses a bigger and more persistent threat to global security and stability. He's believed to have been referring to military assistance to Ukraine by the United States and other NATO members. The French presidential office said Macron reiterated his support for Ukraine, saying that people in the country are facing a grave situation due to Russia's aggression.
1: American lawmakers have approved a fresh aid package for Ukraine worth about $40 billion. It comes as Ukrainian forces try to retake control in key parts of the country. The bill won overwhelming support from the U.S. House of Representatives, despite the deep political rift between Democrats and Republicans. The bill is expected to pass the Senate and be signed into law. It would allow the Ukrainian military to secure more weapons and expand humanitarian aid.
2: Meanwhile, the British government says it will provide a further £1.3 billion or about $1.6 billion in military support to Ukraine. The British government says the funding will go towards equipment such as a counter-battery radar system.
3: Moscow's strict controls on media are blocking Russians from certain social media sites. But some are getting around the restrictions by using virtual private networks, or VPNs, to post and access anti-war messages. This man lives in St. Petersburg. He gets some of his news from government agencies. Other sources are from overseas and accessed through a VPN. Moscow has apparently set up firewalls in a bid to block domestic Internet users from accessing certain websites. But VPNs are like a tunnel that leads users through the firewalls. Their connections are encrypted. The man's VPN is essential for him to obtain and transmit information.
0: Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7355 and 6175 or on the web at jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. On to France 24. World leaders are meeting in Ivory Coast at the 15th United Nations Biodiversity Conference to find strategies for limiting desertification and drought accelerated by global warming. Former Brazilian President Lula da Silva officially launched his campaign against Bolsonaro. A renowned Palestinian-American journalist, Shireen Abu Akhle, was killed while covering an Israeli raid in the West Bank. France 24. World leaders are gathering in Abidjan at the COP15 to
4: discuss uh, the impact of desertification and drought throughout the world. The issue has wreaked havoc on the African continent. Unsustainable agriculture has depleted soils and its accelerated global warming and is leading to a loss in species. 40% of land globally has uh, been degraded. Now, for more on this, we can bring in our environmental affairs editor, Valerie de Kemp. Valerie, what's driving uh, desertification and does it have a ripple effect?
5: Well, in terms of what's driving desertification, there are a number of factors at play. Uh, Droughts, you mentioned uh, them, aggravated by climate change. Also, desert sands are advancing at a rate of five kilometers every single year with devastating effects on crops and also deforestation, of course. Uh, In Africa alone, the continent is losing four million hectares of forests every single year, and we know that part of that deforestation is to make space for more crops. And so you have this vicious circle of uh, fertile land is uh, not as productive because of climate factors. And so there's more deforestation to make more space for crops. And that in turn exacerbates this problem of land degradation. Uh, We know, according to UN data, that uh, more than six million hectares of land will need to go into uh, production between now and 2030 in order to feed the world's population. So you have this major question of how How do you uh, increase agricultural production without further harming the soil and the land? So that is going to be a key question at the heart of this summit in uh, Abidjan. Um, And African leaders, they are pinning their hopes on technology, uh, drought-resistant species. Um, We have seen scientists working on that for a number of years now, so there needs to be a transfer of technology from rich countries towards uh, countries and there's also, of course, the question of funding. How do you provide enough funding to support all of those initiatives? Um, and I think it's become quite clear now that it's not just an environmental issue, but it's also a development issue. As uh, restoring the land also means fighting against poverty, uh, fighting against malnutrition, and forced migration.
4: Because no one wants to migrate. If they, they, everyone wants to stay put where they are, and they're forced to migrate because they can't find jobs, can't plant, exactly. etc about things that are being done because people have these tree planting campaigns. Is that, is yeah. that all for show or...
5: Well, I think we we tend to perceive um, you know tree planting schemes perhaps as the solution, whether it's to capture carbon out of the atmosphere, whether it's to push back against desertification, um, and uh, it sounds like an easy, cost-effective solution. Everyone likes a tree planting scheme, but I think that we need to be wary of the fact that uh, they're not necessarily you know silver bullet solutions. Uh, according again to UN data, out of one billion hectares of land that countries promise to restore, the majority of that remains just a promise and not a reality. Even UN officials have been saying recently, uh, you know, there is greenwashing here that we need to uncover. Uh, In the worst case scenario, you have uh, tree planting schemes that only exist on paper, uh, or sometimes we just plant trees, nobody takes care of them, they die, uh, they even get harvested sometimes. In other cases, uh, you have tree planting schemes that go ahead, uh, but they don't, lead to any significant results. Uh, We've been speaking perhaps a lot about the green uh, wall in Africa stretching across 7,000 kilometers in the Sahel. Uh, Initially, the target was 100 uh, million hectares of land. So far, just 20 million have been restored and trees planted there. And I think that now everyone agrees that uh, tree planting schemes can only succeed if you have the support and the know-how of the local communities. And again, that, the the Great Green Wall of Africa is an example of that in which we initially started out with, let's bring in trees, plant them uh, at the edge of a a desert and see what happens. Now we shifted more towards, uh, you know, centered around indigenous land techniques, uh, water harvesting techniques, and protecting trees that emerge Naturally, uh, end the farmland with endemic species. So I think it goes on to show that it's not just let's plant more trees, but how you know what trees are you planting and what's the bigger picture of what you're doing.
4: Valerie, thank you very much for that, Valerie de Kempster.
6: Former Brazilian President Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva has officially launched his presidential campaign. The leftist icon is seeking to unseat far-right President Jair Bolsonaro and to stage a remarkable comeback four years after being jailed for corruption. The 76-year-old was long expected to run and has enjoyed a lead in the polls. The election is being held in October. Our correspondent in Brazil, Tim Vickery, sent us this.
7: It's said that all political lives end in failure. Lula hopes that doesn't apply, as at the age of 76, he embarks on what surely is one of the closing chapters of an extraordinary life. On Saturday in São Paulo, he announced that he'll be running in October in Brazil's presidential elections against the incumbent Jair Bolsonaro. It's a battle for the soul of the nation. Lula spoke of sending fascism back to the sewers of history, but his is a conciliatory approach. Much of his speech was dedicated to a definition of sovereignty. Impossible, he says, without economic inclusion and without the reconquest of the international respect that he says that Brazil has lost in the last four years. If Bolsonaro represents the far right, Lula is moving into the center. His running mate is a former opponent, the one-time governor of Sao Paulo, Geraldo Alcmin, seen as capable of taking votes from Bolsonaro in sectors such as agribusiness and the Southeast. Alckmin made a strong speech, saying that the Bolsonaro government is the worst, the most disastrous in Brazil's history, and an imminent threat to democracy. But he had to do it by video link-up. He's gone down with COVID. The handling of the coronavirus pandemic by the Bolsonaro government will clearly be an election issue, although the economy is likely to be the main driver. At this early stage, Lula has a big lead in the polls. Bolsonaro casts doubt on this, More importantly, he cast doubt on Brazil's electronic voting system, leaving an important question hanging. Should he be defeated? Will he accept the results? It's been reported this week there's concern on this issue in the upper echelons of the United States government. And so, as Lula steps back into the ring, Brazil is braced for conflict, which may not be resolved by the results of the elections.
6: That's our correspondent in Brazil, Tim Vickery reporting. Joining us now is our correspondent in Jerusalem, Sammy Sokol. Uh, this much-respected journalist, Sammy, is being laid rest tomorrow, but uh, there is an homage happening today. Uh, what can you tell us?
8: Yes, indeed, uh, Shirin Abu Akleh was a familiar face in all Palestinian homes, and I would say throughout the Middle East. Uh, people, when they were following the news on Palestine, when they were following the news on the West Bank, they saw Shireen Abu Akleh's face, and they saw her covering the exact kind of an incident in which she was killed. She was there where Palestinians were killed by Israeli soldiers, and she fell a victim to similar circumstances which she was covering. So this is very emotional, and there's been a very strong attachment between her and the public. Uh, Today we have a proliferation of of, of news networks, but at the time when Al Jazeera began its broadcasting, it was quite a pioneering kind of television. So we
6: can understand the
8: feelings.
6: Well, so uh, she was a U.S. citizen and we know the U.S. has been calling for a thorough investigation. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, what they've been able to find or, or what is coming ahead or what the next step is?
8: Yeah well I can tell you that there is a shift in tone in in Israel. Uh, yesterday Bennett was saying in parliament in the Knesset that she was probably killed by a Palestinian militant. Uh, yesterday in in the evening we heard the Minister of Defense uh, Benny Gantz uh, he was saying uh, that he's uh, very sorry for what happened and he and he said that we don't know what was the a direct cause of Shireen's death, and he called on a joint investigation between the PA and Israel. Uh, now, the Palestinian authorities have already responded, and uh, they, they say that they've uh, requested a joint investigation. Uh, which the uh, Palestinian Authority has uh, refused, and um, Hossein el-Sheikh, who is the minister in charge, said that we will inform the family, the United States, Qatar, and the public, and all the indications and evidence and witnesses confirm that the assassination was by Israeli uh, special uh, forces. And I can tell you also among the human rights community here, uh, there's a demand for an international investigation. Yesh Dean, which is an Israeli human rights group, they said that Israeli military cannot investigate it and there has to be an international
6: investigation. Okay, our correspondent in Jerusalem, Sami Soko, uh, Thanks so much for that.
0: Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com. They also have a YouTube channel called France 24 English. On to Radio Havana, Cuba. Israeli authorities have reportedly informed Western allies that assassination teams were being prepared to carry out targeted assassination of Hamas leaders who live abroad. Bolivian President Luis Arce announced that he will not participate in the Summit of Americas to be held in Los Angeles because the U.S. has banned Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua from the summit. Radio Havana, Cuba.
9: As ongoing tensions in the Israeli-occupied Palestinian territories are heading towards a large-scale eruption, Israeli authorities have reportedly informed Western allies that the Tel Aviv regime is preparing teams to carry out targeted killings of leaders of the Palestinian Hamas resistance movement who live abroad. According to an article published in the London-based daily newspaper The Times, while some Israeli legislators have called for the assassination of Hamas leader Yaha Sinwar, the regime officials are wary of carrying out targeted killings in the besieged Gaza Strip or the occupied West Bank, fearing that such moves could trigger devastating retaliatory attacks against sensitive sites inside the occupied land. The report added that, instead, any potential targeted killings are more likely to take place in the countries where other Hamas leaders live, such as Lebanon and Qatar. In 1997, Mossad agents attempted to poison senior Hamas officials Khaled Mashal in Jordan, but the attempt failed. Hamas has warned that it will burn Israeli-occupied cities to the ground with, quote, massive missile strikes if the regime in Tel Aviv acts on its threats to assassinate any of the leaders of the Palestinian resistance group.
10: Bolivian President Luis Aras announced on Tuesday that he would not participate in the Ninth Summit of the Americas, scheduled for Los Angeles June 6th through ten. If the exclusion of brotherly peoples continues to stand, consistent with the principles and values of the plurinational state of Bolivia, I reaffirm that a summit of the Americas that excludes American countries will not be a full summit of the Americas, and if the exclusion of brotherly peoples persists, I will not participate in it. As I posted on Twitter, The United States... Excluded Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua from the summit, alleging their governments are anti-democratic and do not respect the democratic charter of the Americas. Bolivia bases its international relations on the diplomacy of the peoples, with inclusion, solidarity, complementarity, respect for sovereignty, self-determination, and collective construction of the culture of dialogue and peace. Wrote the president in a second tweet.
0: Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at RadioHC.cu. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 606060 or 6165. If you have questions or comments about this shortwave report, or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal, or by writing to Dan Roberts at PO Box 1162, Willits, California. 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a listener in Fort Bragg, California, did this week. Many thanks. We will conclude with an interview that George Galloway did with journalist Wyatt Reed about Venezuela, the summit of the Americas, and lithium. This is from Galloway's independent production called The Mother of All Talk Shows.
11: White Reid, thanks for joining us. Let me start with the Americas. The United States has convened a conference of the Americas, but it has arrogated to itself the right to exclude various American countries. Where's that at?
12: You're talking about the Summit of the Americas that is scheduled to take place next month in Los Angeles. Uh, what we're talking about here is the exclusion, as you as you mentioned, of Venezuela, of Nicaragua, of Cuba. The State Department has uh, indicated that is probable. Currently, I kind of see this as something that's up in the air. I, I kind of, to be frank, I see some potential political maneuvering behind the scenes regarding these sort of talks that we saw uh, open up after the beginning of the special military operations in Ukraine. When we see the U.S looking out towards Venezuela for potential oil production after having obviously sanctioned it from the market for many, many years, having helped destroy the Venezuelan economy. Now all of a sudden they want Venezuela's oil again. So they haven't completely shut off the possibility of Venezuela attending. They say that that is decision for the White House to make, not Latin America. You know, we're still in this Monroe Doctrine kind of philosophy We'll see how that how that pans out, but I am not terribly optimistic about the attendance of uh these leftist governments that uh Washington has yeah, effectively decided I mean, that it's gonna but, try to
11: uh, As as more and more of these governments become vaguely at least leftist, it's going to be difficult uh for the United States to exclude everybody who's vaguely leftist. as uh, something I'm always puzzled about. Barack Obama didn't just change America's policy towards Cuba, he went to Cuba, met the Castros. Joe Biden was his vice president. So his current stance against Cuba is a slap in the face for his own incumbency, isn't it?
12: Absolutely, and it's a total betrayal of his campaign promise to restore relations with cuba right that was something that he campaigned on but apparently sort of this issue of electoral politics florida has basically rendered uh, any leftward movement on latin america effectively impossible in terms of at least in terms of venezuela cuba and nicaragua right uh, last week the mexican government announced the nationalization of their lithium deposits and just a few days later President Amlo described sort of a consortium that they are looking into alongside the governments of Argentina, Chile, and Bolivia, this lithium triangle. You know, Bolivia has about a quarter of the world's lithium deposits between Bolivia, Argentina, and Chile. They have around 56% of the world's global supply of lithium. So they're going to be exchanging practices for lithium production. And long term, these are the kinds of relationships that are going to need to be formed If the people of Latin America really want to take their own destiny into their own hands and create some kind of OPEC for lithium, we're talking about what oil was for the 20th century, uh, for the 21st century, you know, that's lithium.
11: Now, uh, not only that, but Lula, who's currently 20 points ahead of the current president of Brazil, Bolsonaro, and is therefore highly likely if nothing happens to him, uh, in the run-up to the polls, to be the next president of the mighty power of Brazil. He's talking about a new Latin American currency.
12: Yeah, this is, again, something that really has only become possible over uh, the course of the last decade, right? We saw these attempts at regional integration uh, under Venezuela throughout the 2000s. They just, Latin America just didn't have the economic clout at the time to really be able to pull it off. Now we're seeing sort of a slow, much more measured and definitely a bit more conservative uh, efforts, but they're all going towards the same direction. Even under Bolsonaro, they're, they're not willing to get dragged into this Russia versus the West proxy war. They know that the main consequences economically of this kind of conflict are going to fall on the poorest countries in the world. Certainly they've already fallen on the poorest countries in Europe. But the the increase in prices for fertilizer, prices for fuel, aluminum, those are going to fall hardest on countries like Brazil. So even outside of the frame of the left coming back, we're talking about a a movement continent wide that's really irreversible at this point. And that's why you see the United States kind of trying to play catch up. Uh, But as you see, they're still stuck in these kind of Cold War mentalities with us or against us. We're not going to let Cuba come like it's, you know, 1960s you know, the UN, it's really kind of depressing for people here in this continent. But, you know, it really only makes it that much more certain that this sort of new multipolar world order that is constructed will stick.
11: Amen. Let's hope it's irreversible. Wyatt Reed, thanks.
0: That interview by George Galloway was from his program, The Mother of All Talk Shows, which can be found on his YouTube channel, Search for George Galloway. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You have to look a lot harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show that's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California, using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.